Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. With Brexit dominating the news every other day and the March 29th deadline in sight, we thought it was a good opportunity to catch up with Chagas expert Kevin Hanrahan to talk through the various outcomes and how it will affect Irish agriculture, with a particular emphasis on the dairy sector. And I started by asking Kevin where the Brexit process currently stands. The Brexit process is stuck. Uh, sometimes it's described as an impasse. Uh, so the 27 member states other than the European Union, than the UK, have uh, have agreed with the, have agreed a withdrawal agreement with the UK and they are pr- proceeding to ratify it. Uh, but the problem is that the UK, at least from my perspective, hasn't yet decided what it wants um, in terms of an end outcome to Brexit, what type of Brexit it wants. And it has yet it's failed to, to make any progress on getting that withdrawal agreement that they signed with the, Europe, the rest of the European Union um, agreed in the House of Commons. Um, and there's been a series of votes that people have heard about on the, on, on the news that have uh, that have sort of um, uh, indicated that the House of Commons wants the British government to go back and open up negotiations with the EU at uh, 27. And so far, the European Union 27 have said that they've had almost two years of negotiations, and this is as good a deal as they can get uh, with the UK, given the UK's so-called red lines, um, um, which have effectively, right from the start, clearly limited the kind of the the zone of, of, of possible agreement between the EU27 and the UK that's now leading the European Union to what's in the withdrawal agreement. Um, and so so it's hard to see where we go from here until we have some movement on either the UK red lines uh, or the European Union's position that it's unwilling to undermine the single market uh, and is unwilling uh, to basically um, compromise on the need for a backstop. And then if, if we look then at the 29th of March and look, it's, it's a date that's fast approaching. You know, what are the potential outcomes that will be achieved on that date? Anyone tells you that they know what's going to happen is uh, really doesn't know what they're talking about, unfortunately. Um, it's possible that we will, that the UK will crash out uh, and that there will they will leave uh, the European Union without having agreed a withdrawal agreement and that the European Union will have to treat the UK as, as what's called a third country, just like any other country, basically. Not a, not like a member of the European Union, which it obviously isn't once it's left, and not like a country with which it has a trade agreement, which if the UK goes out without, with, in any way other than under a withdrawal agreement, it won't have a trade agreement with the European Union. And if that happens... Uh, the European Union and Ireland as a member of the European Union will have to impose uh, taxes on imports of goods, called, those taxes are called tariffs. And because the UK won't be in the single market, it will also have to uh, do very detailed checks on, on all goods, but most, but the, the checks that are, in, that are done on agricultural and food products are much more uh, detailed uh, because of the fact that this is stuff that we eat or or is traded in goods, animals that that ultimately we we, we consume as food. Um, so there will be very uh, stringent regulatory uh, checks on trade between the UK and the European Union, and also these taxes, these tariffs. Now we don't yet know what the UK will do uh, in that uh, in that world where it crashes out. It, it will inherit the European Union. Uh, 
sort of list of, of taxes because it will now be a, a WTO member in its own right. Um, and it will have a schedule, like a list of tariffs that in theory will, will, will be equal to the, to the European Union ones, but we don't know whether they will apply those or whether they will apply taxes that are lower than those. If they apply the EU levels of tariffs, most of the key commodities, agricultural commodities that we currently export to the UK will not be competitive on the UK market after paying taxes, after taxes are levied on them. And those exports will, will, will quickly uh, go from very, very significant to very, very insignificant because the, the, our, our products just won't be competitive. If, on the other hand, the, Europe, the, the UK decides to, um, to reduce the taxes from the European Union style levels that it applies to, to imports of agricultural commodities like butter or beef, um, under the WTO rules, uh, there's a principle called Most Favoured Nation Principle, or MFN, and what that basically means is that the UK, as a WTO member, has to treat all other WTO members equally. So if it reduces the tariffs on trade between the UK and the European Union, it wants to get that wants to be able to import beef or butter or other commodities into to into onto the UK market, it has to reduce them for all uh, WTO members. So what would that what that means is that the, um, the preferential access that Ireland currently enjoys on the UK market because the UK is a member of the European Union would go and we would be competing on the UK market with products from outside the European Union and our depending on the commodity our costs of production are either are either ones that are as competitive as our international competitors and that's the case for many dairy commodities but particularly for beef uh, our costs of production are significantly higher than those of some of our world market competitors and um, in a world where we were not facing any tariffs going into the UK, but were competing with Brazilian or Argentinian beef, um, our exports to that market would decline almost certainly. So it's not a good picture, I'm afraid, if the UK crashes out. The alternative is that somehow or other between now and the end of March, we either get a withdrawal agreement or we get, uh, we get the UK applying for an extension to the Article 50 uh, time clock basically so as to allow more time to try get a withdrawal agreement uh, if in the end of the day either at the end of March or in June June or at some later point we get a withdrawal agreement well with withdrawal agreement we get a two-year transition period where everything more or less stays the same in terms of the rules that govern trade between the UK and the European Union and during that two years, the European Union and this country called the United Kingdom that, that is now no longer in the European Union would basically be working very hard to get a trade agreement agreed. And the, the political declaration uh, between the European Union and the UK that goes along with the draft withdrawal agreement uh, kind of sets the, the scene for what, what could be possible. Uh, and there's a whole spectrum of... Uh, of potential end outcomes uh, from ones where where the trade agreement is 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 not one that 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 leaves us as close as possible to where we currently are, to which is like a Norway style agreement, to to alternatives where um, such as like a Canadian model where we would be where there would be 
very few tariffs between the UK and the European Union market, but where there would be significant regulatory barriers because the because the uh, the UK would be choosing not to be in the single market. So, and on the basis of the UK red lines at the moment, they don't want to be in the single market, and in essence, essentially, they don't want to be in the customs union either because they want to be able to pursue. Uh, their own independent uh, international trade policy, which you can't really do if you're in a customs union with the European Union. So it's, but the only way we get to a future trade agreement with the UK that will mitigate the impact of Brexit on our agriculture is if we get a withdrawal agreement, and that's where that's where that's where that's where people need to be looking at is 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 where are we going to get withdrawal agreement or are we going to get a delay in the whole process so as to try to get a withdrawal agreement or is the our uk politicians willing to um basically roll the uk out of the european union uh, without any withdrawal agreement and if that occurs there will be major economic um pain right across the economy in the uk particularly and the member state of the European Union that's most likely to be most affected after the UK is, is Ireland, unfortunately. And if, if we take a look at that, um, Kevin, you know, if we look at the crash out scenario, um, you know, what sort of impacts will that have on the, the various Irish agricultural sectors? Well, we've we've done some work for the Department of Agriculture that uh, that hasn't been released yet, but the Minister for Agriculture has has written an article in the press about it. So I'm not I'm not breaking any secrets. You know, you're talking about um, very significant reductions in the prices of of uh, the carcass price of beef in Ireland, uh, and by significant I mean twenty uh, percent uh, by by you know by the by by 10 years time on the assumption that we we that the UK crashes out and there's no deal made uh, and there's no action by the European Union to mitigate the impacts on the market. Uh, milk prices wouldn't go down by as much but would decline relative to where they would go in the in a world where Brexit wasn't happening so they would be down but by less than 10% they would decline relative to a world where we weren't looking at Brexit. But it's important when when people sit sit with their 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 ear pods in their ears and, and they're at work or they're they're driving somewhere that they need to understand that when economists like myself talk about these scenario impacts we are assuming that there's no political response to that that outcome and almost certainly there will be a political response from the Irish government and from the European Union to that shock so in previous um kind of uh, political crises uh, that have affected agricultural market prices. Uh, the European Union has been has shown itself willing to intervene and to support prices to at least a limited extent. So uh, when the Russian embargo was was introduced, um, countries at the eastern side of Europe that had lots of trade with 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 Russia, namely Finland and the Baltic states and Poland. Um, they, there were there were policy responses to the impact of the uh, the Russian embargo on agricultural markets. Now, the problem is that the if Brexit is forever, uh, the willingness of the European Union to basically come in and and either support market prices uh, or to to support farm incomes because of the negative impact of the shock and market prices on those incomes uh, in perpetuity is is or forever is is low they're not going to be willing to do that 
but what they may what they have shown themselves willing to do is to, to, to provide short-term support and there are instruments within the European budget in a bigger scale where they um where they have where they have provided assistance to industries that are affected by by trade shocks to to adjust now usually when you hear an economist talking about uh, assistance in terms of adjustment it means what it means really is giving people money or resources to to change what they're doing so they're not they're not they're no longer a factory worker in in Dell because the globalization has led to the factory closing and they have to retrain to get another job uh, how that will work in the agricultural sector particularly given that that farmers who who's you know who have large land assets and non-land assets invested in their farms who all of a sudden find themselves you know out of business are losing a lot of money because of a political decision that they had nothing to do with um how they are how they are assisted to adjust to that type of shock is, is very difficult to see um in the medium to longer term um so the response will be a mixture of short-term assistance to, to stabilize markets, perhaps longer-term assistance to enable people to, to adjust perhaps to different types of farm enterprises or to, to, to change their, uh, the amount of time they spend working in farm uh, and off farm, so as to basically allow them to have a, to have a, to have a better paying job off the farm perhaps. Um, but it will also be probably assistance in terms of helping Ireland and the Irish agri-food sector find markets or to develop markets uh, that could begin over, begin to replace the UK market. But, but the UK market is so large that it's hard to see overnight how you could find any market, certainly within the European Union or globally, that could just come in and just, just just seamlessly replace the UK because the UK is so big in in for, for Ireland, and um, so it'll be at that the, the kind of the mar the new markets new products uh, piece will take 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 a much longer time to develop and to, to succeed at. But it's but it's what Chagas Food Research and the extra resources that are going to that is 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 is, is aimed at. It's why Bordia is is getting more resources from the government to uh, increase its network uh, in non-EU markets so that we can start to 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 work harder at getting um getting Irish products onto shelves that they currently have to date they haven't been on or have, have only been on to a limited extent basically to 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 start to to try and across a whole set of smaller markets to create extra opportunities that could cumulatively begin to um substitute for for the large uh, the large UK market now the UK market is right beside us so I think there which even even in a world where they crash out there probably will still be exports of of agricultural goods to the UK it's it's just that if they choose to impose tariffs on the trade with the, with, with the European Union or if they choose to unilaterally liberalize their tariffs, we will not be able to ship the, the kind of volumes that we have uh, traditionally shipped to the UK. And that, that that's a different world we'll have to face into. And I suppose, look, you've, you've highlighted the, 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 the impact on, say, product price. And um, but if, if we, you know, you mentioned the EU, if we take a look at say, the EU payments received by Irish farmers, is that going to be affected by the, I, I suppose any Brexit um, outcomes. So, the, so the budget for 
Ireland coming for the cap is, is going to get smaller in the next seven in this next budget period as compared to this one. But it's and it's in partly it's due, it's due to Brexit. But I would have expected, even in the absence of Brexit, that that budget allocation to the cap and to Ireland from the cap would have gotten smaller because the European Union wants to, people are asking it to, to address new challenges outside of agriculture, like immigration, security, climate change. And uh, the, the common agricultural policy at the moment absorbs about 40% uh, of all the European Union budget. So if we want to spend more money on climate change or on security or on immigration, we have to find the money somewhere because the member states of the European Union, to date at least, have been unwilling to put more money into the pot, into the European budget pot. So um, if we want to spend more money on this or that, generally speaking, in the European context, some at least of that extra money has to come from the agriculture budget because it's such a large chunk of what we spend the money on. So I would have expected, even in the absence of Brexit, for, for the cap budget to have gotten a little bit smaller. The only wrinkle in all that is that because we are unlikely to get an agreement in cap reform by the end of April, uh, it'll be basically put on pause uh, and it'll have to be done by the next European Parliament and the next uh, College of European Commissioners. Uh, and the budget will run out. Uh, and what will happen in the absence of a political agreement on a new cap is that we will roll over the new cap so the same rules apply. But we will have a budget that will not have the UK in it if the UK leave, for example, with no deal. Um, so it's possible in that eventuality that there would be a negative impact on the value of direct payments. But um, but the if we get a new cap agreed, uh, the, the 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 negative impact of of the UK leaving is not as large as we might have imagined it would have been uh, maybe a year or two ago when we thought that Brexit would, because they were a big net contributor to the budget, would have left us maybe 10% down on where we would have been in the absence of Brexit. I don't think the impact would be quite so large, um, but we might have a short run um, problem if we don't get a cap form agreement and we don't have an agreement on a new EU budget. So it's it's complicated, unfortunately. So there's there, there's a potential for some some pain. And if we just turn our attention, Kevin, to the I suppose the the dairy sector and the the dairy sector has a lower reliance on the UK for its exports. I suppose in comparison with the beef, would that be fair to say? Yeah, that is fair. Yeah, yeah. It, it's fair. It is fair. But but uh, it, certain product categories have a very heavy reliance on on the UK market. So. Depending on who you're, as a farmer, who you're supplying your milk to, if your co-op or, or, or dairy processor is is using your milk to make lots of cheddar cheese, uh, and it's got a much higher exposure to the UK market than if your co-op is not basically a big maker of cheddar cheese. So it it does depend, um, but on average across the terms of the uses of Irish milk, if you think about the Irish dairy sector as just a big entity. Um, we, it has a much lower dependence on the UK market than the beef market. And most importantly, it is also competitive for some of its products on the world market. Um, uh, so which is not the case really for the Irish beef industry. So and also the vision of the industry, of the dairy industry, is to just obviously to continue to grow its milk output 
and to continue to grow the output of the products it, it processes out of that milk and the markets that the dairy industry sees as taking those that extra production isn't really the European Union it's beyond the European Union so that reflects the fact that they are glo- that, that it is globally competitive and because of that globally that that status it at least has the ambition and the capacity to um to 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 adjust its offering away from the UK because it if it faces tariffs and towards other places that that it can still be profitable in supplying and unfortunately that's not the case with the beef industry but there is so the the, the dairy industry will almost certainly come through Brexit it will it will be it will lower milk prices but it won't lower them to the extent that at the margin dairy farmers are unprofitable. And, and you mention a lot of the products, for example, I, I mean, the simple one is cheddar cheese that's that's um, that's being processed um, essentially and, and and marketed in the UK. You know, how does it practically work? You know, we have a lot of um, co-ops, I suppose, dealing across border with Northern Ireland with raw milk. What what's the solution for, I suppose, that um, enterprise? Uh, well, I, I think the, the solution partly is many of those those co-ops who are who are shipping milk north north to south and sometimes south to north. Uh, most of those co-ops have, have kind of um, processing facilities on both sides of the border. Um, and uh, in the event of a hard Brexit uh, where there's no backstop and so on, um, it's hard to see how those flows of of milk in container of in trucks for processing moving back and forward will be allowed to continue. I just I just don't see how that's going to be allowed. But there may be, you know, we have a number of 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 of, of Irish, of Southern Irish, or based or, or headquartered uh, dairy processing companies that you can imagine could could cooperate with one another so that they you know the milk that Lakelands was was taking down or sending north uh, could be used by Arivo or Lackpatrick and they could basically reorganize their their the their flows of milk to to try to keep the throughput in their individual factories as close as possible to where it was before Brexit but but adjusting to the fact that they just can't drive a truck full of milk across the border for processing either north-south or south-north, because, you know, your ability as a as a Republic of Ireland-based um, producer to put that IE stamp on your butter or your cheese or whatever dairy commodity happens to be is, would be, would be in question if it was based on milk that was not from the European Union. And in the event of a, of a hard Brexit, the milk that, the milk that you import from Northern Ireland to make that product would not be European Union milk. So you wouldn't be legally, there would be some legal doubt as to whether you can market your dairy commodities with that IE stamp. Uh, so it will be, it will be a, particularly for those, those cooperatives who are, are, are the farmers who are, are, whose milk is being collected and taken across the border. That's, you know, no one ever thought would be important. Um, that would be, that would be, um, that will, that will not be allowed to happen basically as far as i understand the, the situation now this is going to be a much bigger problem for dairy farmers in the north of ireland than it is going to be for dairy farmers in the south um, and uh, some of the dairy processors in the in the north have, have been criticized by british politicians for well why haven't they just spent hundreds of millions of pounds building new new plants to process the milk that won't be able to go to the south 
won't they have a great market in the UK once the southern once their southern neighbours aren't allowed export to the UK because of tariffs or whatever. And the the leaders of those those industries, those firms have, have been very, very quick to come back and say, well, you know, we still don't know whether or not uh, there's going to be any of those barriers. I mean, if we have a withdrawal agreement uh, and if we have a deep and comprehensive trade agreement, we might be still able to trade north and south and east and west without any barriers. So why would we spend money we don't yet know we have to spend? So there's still not the processing capacity in Northern Ireland for all the milk they produce. And in the event that they can't send it south to be processed, they're going to be in a very hard place. Uh, they're going to have to start to, to, to roll milk trucks onto ferries and get it across to Scotland to get processed. And, you know, that's, that, that does not sound like a good idea to me in terms of actually keeping it fresh again and 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 being able to the milk will not be the standards were, would not possibly be 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 um you know it might be I, i'm not a dairy scientist so but it, i can imagine that it, there would be problems in the type of products you want to make with that milk if it's been sitting in a truck uh waiting to get onto a ferry or get off a ferry for a long time and I suppose finally, Kevin, just to, to wrap up, um, like you've mentioned a lot of the, I suppose, short, medium and long term supports that I suppose our own government and the EU are looking at to support farmers, I suppose, through this process. But I suppose l- looking at in individual farmers in Ireland, is there anything they can do themselves to try and insulate themselves from low farm incomes resulting from Brexit? You know, my principal advice is that, you know, far, the, unfortunately, farmers are, are the classic price takers. So there's nothing, there's not an awful lot they can do about about what the, what the British decide, right? So that's beyond their control. Um, what is, and there's currently huge amounts of uncertainty as to what the outcome will be still. So there's still, it's still a very smoky battlefield. Or, so in, the best thing I think farmers can do is if they are, about to make a big lumpy investment is to wait a little bit and if they can to see whether or not um, a world where prices were lower is one where they'd still want to make that investment. So I think, you know, if you're making, if the farmers are considering making a big investment uh, and if their business plan is, 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 is based around, does not have the kind of the, the capacity within it to basically still be a profitable proposition at a, at a milk price that's a few a good few cent lower, they need to they need to perhaps just stop a little bit and think about it and wait for more clarity to to come in on what will be the market relationship between the UK and the European Union on a medium to longer term basis because it that you know it's I would not like to see people taking out massive big loans uh, that would basically not be repayable. In the event of a Brexit, that's very, that's very um, bad from the perspective of the ag, ag sector. So I think, I think, given that we will have some clarity, we hope uh, in the next three to six to nine months, at the very latest, on what where we're going. I think uh, you know it might be farmers might be well advised just to, to to sit tight for a little bit and see how the mist and the smoke clears and what the lie of the land is. That's great. Thank you, Kevin. Okay, please. That's it for this week's episode of the Jerry Edge podcast. And my thanks to Kevin Hanrahan for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.